0: Before I really address the topic of anxiety well, at risk of making you more anxious, I kinda just wanna acknowledge the heaviness of the situation at hand because this this is a global pandemic. Uh, I don't think it's panicking for me to point out some of the realities uh, uh, that are sitting on us right now. Um, For some of you, this could mean that your kids don't go back to school this year. Angela and I are not only preparing, but even bracing ourselves a little bit for five months with our kids in our home the entire time. For some of you, uh, that reality puts you in a really hard spot because you rely on public school for things like childcare. For others of you, you might rely on it for food during the week. Uh, for some of you, especially in the entertainment industry, this is really going to affect possibly your paycheck. For some of you who own businesses, this is going to affect likely your ability to pay your employees. I know some of you, if you're, especially if you're over a certain age, you might be looking at your retirement and wondering, does this shift uh, some plans you had as the market you know, goes up and down? Um, for some of you, this will mean getting sick. And I think for many of us, statistically, this will mean that there will be people in our lives, people who we care for, people who we at least know who will even die. Again, I don't, I'm not trying to panic, but I'm acknowledging the heaviness of the situation that we're in. And if you look at the American Psychiatric Association, the top three reasons for uh, anxiety in our society are, um, are physical safety, health, and finances. So if you think about that, this, this pandemic is hitting all three of those things. So if you're out there and you're feeling some sense of anxiety right now, I want you to say that doesn't make you weird. That makes you normal. It makes you normal if you're experiencing some sense of anxiety. But I don't want you to have to sit in that anxiety. So that's why I want to go to Matthew 6, and I want us to see that, that Jesus doesn't just say, stop being anxious, because that's not a very easy thing to do. I remember early on in my marriage, I would very insensitively tell Angela when she was stressed, just stop Stop being anxious, stop being stressed. And not only does that not work, now Angela feels stupid for feeling the way that she did. So Jesus isn't doing that. He isn't coming here and saying, stop being anxious. He's saying, stop, and here's how. So I want to look at this passage, and I just wanted to do two really simple things. First, I want to define anxiety. I want to see how Jesus defines anxiety. And then secondly, I just want to see the hope that Jesus offers in our anxiety. So very simple. So defining anxiety. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them, turn them on. My prediction is we're going to have more paper Bibles this morning because everybody's using their devices. Uh, Open your old school paper Bibles to Matthew 6. There we go. We've got a few here. Um, in verse 34, Jesus does a great job of defining anxiety. He calls it worrying about tomorrow. This is verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right. I think this is a really neat thing. If Jesus, Jesus is defining anxiety as worrying about tomorrow, do you know how uh, the psychiatrists define anxiety today? Apprehension over an impending future situation. That's worrying about tomorrow. That's what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. And so anxiety is fundamentally a, a forward-thinking curse. So if you think about depression as something that's primarily rooted in the past, this is an oversimplified definition, but I still remember it from, uh, from pastoral counseling and seminary. Depression is fundamentally an unrealized goal or an irretrievable loss. So depression is... Is in, a, in our past. Anxiety is an, is an inability or really the recognition of our inability to control the things that are going to transpire in the future. So, depression looks backwards. Uh, anxiety looks forward. And so, we have to wrestle with the reality that there are events that are going to transpire that we can't control. So, a few months ago, I was driving um, three of my kids and, uh, and I, I was stopped at an intersection, and there were some events transpiring outside of my car as we were stopped that caused one of my older kids to say, Dad, I, I don't feel safe right now. And, and what that child was wrestling with, he, he did not think that Daddy had the event under control. Whereas you, you look over at my five-year-old, and he, he couldn't have felt safer. I, I think Godzilla could have been outside. And my five-year-old would have felt fine because he has this deep sense that daddy's in control and daddy can take care of anything. Well, my older kids don't think daddy's in control and, and don't think that daddy can take care of everything. So it rightly produced anxiety in their hearts. And so what we need to see is that at our core, at the deepest level, when we experience anxiety over anything, we're experiencing the response to a lack of trust that we have A heavenly father who can control all things as they transpire around us. And yes, this kind of anxiety is a sin. And I know there are people out there who would think, well, Jim, it feels very inconsiderate because you're not taking into account the chemical factors, the environmental factors. You're not taking into account the genetic factors that contribute to anxiety. And I would say if that's what you're thinking, yes, I am. I recognize, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the chemical, genetic, and environmental factors. But what I want you to hear is that it's good news that anxiety is sin. Because if anxiety were just some sort of personality quirk, then there's like talking too much or just being awkward. There's no promise for that in the Bible. But if anxiety is a sin, then there are great promises for us in our anxiety all throughout the Bible. But before we go there, I think it's really important to spend a moment to really flesh out what Jesus is not saying here. So Jesus is saying, you know, don't be anxious. But this passage has been misunderstood in many ways. So first, we need to understand that that Jesus is not saying you can't be scared or grieve in some certain way. That's, That's not what's going on here. There's a big difference between the emotions that we experience in the here and now and the ones that we experience about tomorrow. They may seem the same, but they're not. Grief or fear in your present state is different than anxiety over what's, what's coming down the road. So here are two ways I think about this. Um, I have always had a deep fear of public speaking. Always have. I found tools to hide it over the years, but I always experienced that. And I can tell you that there is, it's, it's crazy to me that I speak in public now for a living, but largely. Um, But there's a big difference between the the anxiety of wondering what's going to happen once I step up in front of a group of people and the sheer terror that actually transpires once I'm up there. So being anxious about what will happen, that, that sin, experiencing sheer terror once you're there, that's not sin. There's a difference. Or let me give maybe a little bit heavier example, something, again, that we've experienced. There's a real difference between the fear and anxiety of what the CT scan will say. It's different than than the grief and the fear over the doctor coming back and saying it's cancer. They're, they're fundamentally, these are in different emotional wheelhouses here. And so what what I'm trying, if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand there's there's a difference between what we experience in the here and now and where we're anxious over the things that have yet to transpire. So there's a different emotional wheelhouses. And if we don't appreciate the difference, what Jesus is saying is fundamentally lost. Because of my goodness, I mean, look at Jesus. Jesus experienced deep, deep grief and sadness, and I think even fear at the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, Jesus wasn't anxious about what might transpire down the road. He was really grieving the fact that he knew that day he would be arrested, he would be tortured, and he would be crucified. So much so that he was, he was sweating blood, which all doctors would tell us is a, a, a physical manifestation of a deep, deep emotional stress. And Jesus was not in sin at that moment. So we can't think that – Jesus is not saying that there's a ban on all fear and grief. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, secondly, Jesus is not saying that we can't think about tomorrow. This is a, a misunderstanding that's come largely from, um, from the King James Bible, and it's, not, it's, it's a fine translation. It's just that our language has changed over the years. The King James says, take no thought for the morrow. Uh, so we hear that, and we think, well, then do not think about tomorrow. But 600 years ago, all that meant was don't worry. And so we can misinterpret that and think that we can't, uh, we can't think about tomorrow. I appreciated one commentator said Jesus isn't condemning thought. Or even forethought, he's condemning anxious thought. So we need to ask ourselves, when is it that forethought becomes anxious thought? Because one is okay, one is bad. And I think the answer is it goes from forethought to anxious thought. When we begin to really dwell and become emotionally impacted about events that are farther out than today events that we have no control over and begin to really consume our mind and our emotions my, uh, my dad when I was growing up he used to always quote Winston Churchill um, when, when we would get anxious or concerned and he would tell us that Winston Churchill uh, at the end of his life famously said if I could live my life over again I wouldn't worry about all the things that never happened at the end of the day what anxiety is is a control issue It's a control issue because there are things that are just simply outside of our control. And when we don't have the proper theological categories to understand how to deal with all that is outside of our control, we're going to be anxious. Paul Tripp, uh, he says, I'm convinced that that rest in this chaotic world and a willingness to give and share control all arise from a sure knowledge that every single detail of our lives is under the careful administration of one of awesome glory. So there are things in this pandemic that we can control. We can control, I think, our general exposure to the germs. We can control how many groceries we have in our house. Um, If you're particularly at risk, you can Control not being in certain scenarios where you're more likely to transmit uh, or, or get this, this coronavirus. So there are things that are in our control, but there's so much that's outside of our control. We can't control ultimately if we get sick. We can't control ultimately if our families get sick, and we can't control what the markets do. So we, we acknowledge what we can control and what we can't, but Jesus is not saying that we can't think about tomorrow. Thirdly, the third thing that Jesus is not saying is that there will be no trouble in the world. I, I, I think – I mean you look at John 16 where Jesus says, behold, there will be trouble in this world. I think Jesus might come back today, and, and, and if he were here physically with us today, he might say, why, why are you panicking? Why are you worrying? I told you this world would have these kinds of troubles. This shouldn't catch you off guard. Uh, my wife angela has this really i think helpful way of communicating and i think she got this from somebody else but I, I don't know where but she says often we can think that this life is this one long line of peace and comfort with periodic you know moments of trouble but the reality is biblically the way jesus viewed the world this, we live one long line of trouble with sporadic blips of peace and security so It makes sense that the more we make peace and security and calmness and happiness our highest ambition, if that's what we're going for, we're going to live an anxious life because that's not what's promised to us in this life. So that's what Jesus is not saying, but I want to do one more thing before I talk about the hope. I want to talk about ultimately where anxiety comes from because you remember I defined anxiety as worrying About future events that we have no control over. All right, so at its core, we're looking at a control issue. And if we understand the the longer arc of the Bible, control is where our longing for control is where all of our problems ultimately came from. I mean, if you go all the way back before humans, we're told that there was an angel named Lucifer. Lucifer was like the worship leader in heaven, he had a great life. Things were good, but he wanted more. He wanted control. He wanted to be God. So he challenged God. He went against God. God won. God cast him down here where he can no longer attack God, so he went after the next best thing, God's image bearers. And so he went to Adam and Eve, and what did he do? He told them, you should be in control. God said don't eat that fruit, but if you take control, if you take that fruit— then you'll have more things that God wants to withhold from you. That's where all the problems in our world came from, in the fall. This deep desire for control, that's where sin came from, and that's why we all uh, experience this desire to be in control of things that we can't control. So that is that's the definition of anxiety. Those are three things that Jesus is not saying. It's where it came from now, given that, I think we can hear Jesus' three hopes in this passage uh, for anxiety in our lives. I can remember reading this, years ago, reading this and and just hearing Jesus say, stop it. Just stop being anxious. And and it really took um, some more developed Bible study skills to appreciate that's not what Jesus is doing. Because we have these three admonitions in chapter 6 to not be anxious— And they all start with therefore. So before these admonitions, Jesus is telling us why we shouldn't be anxious. Therefore, don't be anxious. Therefore, don't be anxious. And so what I want to do is look at those three admonitions that come before the therefore and see them as our three hopes in our anxiety, whatever it is that we're anxious about. So the first therefore We're going to, it comes right after Matthew 6, verse 24, and we can see that our first hope is that God is in control. Look at Matthew 6, uh, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So our first hope is that God is in control. And Jesus is saying here, is that we're all going to have a master. We're all going to be controlled by something. It can be money and health or it can be God. At money and health, we have no control over. They have no ultimate control over anything that's going on in our lives, but God does. And we get to choose who we give control over to our lives. And the more that it's things that we can't control, the more anxiety is going to develop in our lives. And so as Christians, this is really where the rubber meets the road. I mean, we, I think most of us watching this would say that we, we believe in God, that we acknowledge uh, his control over our lives. But moments like these are when we get to display that we really believe the faith that we profess. It's easy for us to say we believe in God, but sometimes and his control but sometimes our anxiety is going to tell a different story and i don't and i don't i don't think jesus is coming in here harsh, so i don't want to come in here harsh um i don't want to condemn anybody for feeling anxious i don't want to make you feel stupid for feeling anxious all of us including me we experience anxieties but what's going on in those anxieties is that jesus is giving us an opportunity to see places that his resurrection power has yet to go Places that we can grow in our walk with him. So the anxiety, it shouldn't condemn us. It should draw us to Jesus and desire for his resurrection power to go to every facet of his life. Because Jesus doesn't desire just one or two hours of our life on Sunday. He desires all of us, every piece of our body, every piece of our soul, every ounce of our time. And so anxiety could just be a way that we're able to see opportunities for us to have and experience and express more resurrection power in and through our lives. So that's the, the, first, the first hope. The second hope we have in an anxiety is that God cares. So not only is God in control, he also cares, which I think is very, uh, very important to hear today. Because many people around us, they believe either in a God who can control things but doesn't care... Or a God that maybe cares but can't control all things. But what Jesus is saying is we worship a God who not only can control everything, but also cares about us. And we see this before the, the second therefore in verse 31. So we're going to go back to Matthew six, twenty-six through thirty. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? and a bird just flies by, and he says, look at the bird. That bird, it doesn't, it doesn't store up for the winter, but God takes care of it. And then he points to some flowers right here and says, look, these things don't labor. They don't toil, but look how beautiful they are. And do you not know that you are of so much more value than either of these? You know, the Bible over and over, it, it, it tells us, it uses the metaphor that we are like children to God the Father. And I don't know what father in this room or listening doesn't want to give their child every possible good thing in this life. But compared to our Heavenly Father, the best fathers among us at best seem uninterested. And and at worst, just seem like terrible fathers compared to the way that our Heavenly Father loves us. And do you know why I know this? Because God the Father sent God the Son to come and to save us. To come and to live a life that we couldn't. So that he can pursue his wayward children. No cost was too great. No gap was too expansive. And no rebellion was too extreme. For God the Father to come and save us and God the Son. And if he's provided for us in our our most significant need, why would he not provide for us in all of our other smaller needs? And if we have a God who cares... And is in control, then it's of no surprise that there is no value for worrying. This is why Jesus is saying can it add a single hour to your life? Is it going to do you any good? And obviously the answer is no. All of us at a logical level, we know this because none of us, uh, when things get tough we say, you know what I really need to do? I need to go and put worrying on my calendar. You know, Right now, there's, there, there's nobody out there organizing a group worry to take care of what's going on. We know that it, it doesn't have any practical value to our life, but we still do it because at some deep level, deep inside of us, there's something about the goodness of God and his resurrection power that has yet to sink to places that God wants it to go. And I also want to say that we should have a lot of freedom in this to say, I'm just a work in progress. You know, I think we need to be careful not to set the bar too low or too high in our in our battle on anxiety. Because if we set the bar too low, we begin to say things like, It's just, just who I am. I, I was made this way, I can't I can't do anything about it. Well, clearly that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there's hope, there's more. You can battle this anxiety. But I think we also need to acknowledge that we can't set the bar too high and say things like, Look. Jesus said, stop worrying, so just stop it. You've heard the Bible verse. Why don't you just stop worrying? I mean, I think that's a really naive understanding of all the complexities of being sinners living in a fallen world with, as I said, the, the chemical aspects to it, the, uh, the genetic components and the real environmental components. But I think when we live in this tension of, of the low bar and the high bar, we understand that there is hope for us. And that there's grace for us. And there's hope for others. And there's grace for others. And when I was thinking about this week, uh, this issue this week, I, I began to see how encouraging Peter's life is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I say that a lot. Probably not a lot of people say that. But but Peter worried all the time. I mean, Peter worried when Jesus was walking on water. He, uh, he worried when Jesus was challenged on taxes. He worried when, uh, about who would betray Jesus. He worried when the soldiers came. He even worried later on about whether you know what people were going to think when he was eating with Gentiles. I mean, we call Thomas the doubter. I don't know why we don't call Peter the worrier. But then you, you jump over years later, pages later, to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And you can see that God brought Peter so far that he could write this. Cast all your anxieties on him. See, Peter learned. It wasn't just stop being anxious. It's cast your anxieties on him. Bring your anxieties to him. Why? The next part of the verse. Because he cares for you. We have a God who is in control and a God who cares for us. And it's kind of a long, painful process to watch Peter learn this and it's long and painful for all of us in many ways, but we are going to be anxious, and we need to remind ourselves that we have a God who is in control. We have a God who cares, and when we understand that, we're grasping something about the doctrine of providence because when, when you look at the word providence, what is the root word? Provide. provide ins. The only way that we can believe in a God who's going to provide for us is if we have a God who is in control and who cares about us. And that's precisely what Jesus is telling us in this text. But then he tells us one more thing. Not only is God in control and does he care about us, but he's calling us to seek him. There's something about this call to seek God that has real implications in our anxiety and our paths forward. So the third, therefore… We're going to look at what precedes it in verses 32 and 33. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So I, for years, I don't think I really fully appreciated this word seek here. Because Jesus is making two really important comparisons. He's saying people who don't believe in me, they seek something different than the people who believe in Jesus. He's saying the Gentiles, they're fundamentally seeking uh, wealth and material possessions and vacations and lavish parties. And Jesus isn't saying that those are necessarily bad things. He's saying that's their highest ambition. And that's going to produce anxiousness and anxiety. But the Christian, on the other hand, His highest, her highest ambition is God, seeking him, seeking his kingdom. And then Jesus says when when we do that, when we make God and his kingdom our highest ambition, the the other things can be added. And so so it doesn't guarantee that we're all going to be lavished with these other things, but it means that we're all going to have what we need. Because all of us have different calls in our life, and so some of us, depending on the call that God has placed— on us, He will provide material, materially for you in a very difficult time. For others, he will provide protection. He will pro- provide provision. He will provide good help. But for others of you, he will provide a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. And there will be people that need this. And there will be people who are able to communicate something beautiful and significant about the glory and majesty and power of Jesus Christ because they will be like Paul at their impending and imminent death able to say Jesus is enough but that's only true if he's our highest ambition and if he is who we're seeking so I'm going to finish where I started uh, we as a church are in really uncharted territory here. It's been so, it's been really incredible to look at Facebook. I, I, don't, I don't think there has ever been a moment of gospel saturation in the earth, ever, as is happening today. Okay, you can challenge me on that. I don't know. I'm just, I've never seen the gospel proclaimed in mass in the earth the way that it is this morning, which is an unbelievable thing. We can already see God using this pandemic to his glory. So we need to process as individual Christians. How are we going to do the same? So we, I, you know, I think in my family. I could look at my kids in my house. For the next five months as a real burden. Or I can begin to see sweet opportunities. For moments that would not have otherwise happened. in the busyness of school. And sports and activities. And traveling. We're just there together. I can hate it. Or I can make it a gospel opportunity. I can, I can. Take the opportunity to shepherd my friends through the anxiety that they're facing. You know, One of the things that I find unhelpful uh, in relating to other people is just saying stop it. Stop panicking. Stop doing this, whether it's in person or online. And and I I think often, not everybody, but often if you look at that person who's screaming, don't panic. It's really because that's the only thing standing between them and and their real panic. They need you to not panic because they're going to panic. So we have the opportunity to come alongside people and listen to them and love them and not shoot them down the way that I did my wife for so long, but to hear their story and bring the realities of Jesus Christ into their life. Because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is coming back, that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more sin, there is no more anxiety, because we will be with God the Father in person Enjoying him the way that we were designed to enjoy him for all of eternity. So we need to take these gospel opportunities, every opportunity, to show the world that we really do believe what we profess. So with that, uh, this, is a, this is a big morning. This is a big shift in church history for me, I think, as we're utilizing things that we have never been able or had to really utilize before but I want you to hear me. We're praying for you. Um, if you need anything, please, uh, please reach out. Please contact us. Um, I am going to pray, and then if anybody asks a question, um, we can address those as well. God, we are so thankful for your providence, for your grace. We are thankful for the way that you use opportunities like this, that you, um, that you, bring, that you show us places that your resurrection can, power can go based on anxiety uh, dwelling up inside of us. And I pray that this, this pandemic would cease, that you would, that you would curb it, that you would protect those in our community But God, I pray for all of us that we would have a deep sense that you're in control, that our days are numbered, that we are in good hands. Whatever events transpire around us, we can trust you because you are in control and you love us. And you've given us a way to seek you through your son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.